Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Ellie Shetta-Levin and um, I'm an autist. That's the first thing to know. I'm also a person with autism and I'm also a senior research scientist at the Center for Development and Disability. So it's amazing what people with autism can do. Um, I got my PhD in 2017 from the University of New Mexico College of Education. And I have studied in all kinds of different areas, including neurobiology and neuropsychology. And I'm here to welcome you today to our podcast. And um, I'm going to allow our members who are going to be conducting a conversation about being adults with autism. So, um, I'm going to bow out, and I believe that uh, Katie is the first person to talk with us. If you want to introduce yourself, Katie. Sure, and thank you so much for having me. I think this is a really important discussion, but my name is Katie Redman. I go by she, her pronouns. Um, I am uh, also somebody on the spectrum. I was diagnosed at age five. Um, and I, um, am in my thirties. So I have had a, but when I was entering adulthood as a biological female, though all gender identities are valid. I just want to say that's the perspective I'm coming from. Um, I grew up in Albuquerque, um, with knowing how many, I, so I, uh, though I am coming to you from the lands of the Denina people, also known as Anchorage, Alaska, when I was doing this part and having these conversations, I was a New Mexican and I'm still a Burkenya in my heart, um, knowing what resources were available and talking to my parents and so can probably relate to some of the things that our listeners are discussing. Um, professionally, I am a public health or global health professional and been working in the field for several, um, just about a decade, um, both abroad and in the United States. Um, and I'm debating whether or not um, if it's still a good fit after COVID, but um, I also have a lot of work experience um, and how to get jobs and have learned that process as well. And then I guess, cause it's an autism podcast, I can just close by saying what my fixation is. Um, and it's always been history, geography, um, maps, world cultures. Um, and I'm really fortunate that I've been able to marry that into a way to pay the bills. Um, not directly related, but still linked and I still get to do things and interact with other cultures and constantly learn. So, um, but I'm excited to hear from our other panelists. So I will yield. Okay, and next is uh, Joshua. Hi, um, I first wanna say thank you for having me here. Uh, so my name is Joshua Givens. I am also on the autism spectrum. Uh, I believe I was diagnosed when I was in elementary school and I started doing um, occupational therapy when I was in middle school. Um, I have been uh, someone that uh, that lo that loves having his head up in the clouds, and um, I also have been uh, trying to use that to um, my advantage and my advantage in communicating because I see the world differently than most other people. So I tried I tried pouring um, some some of my communication habits into drawing, into drawing and painting and making videos. And just, I try using it to make, to get my messages across, to show people how I feel, how to show people what I need, how to tell someone how I love them or just make them smile. And uh, I really enjoy, I really enjoy doing that. I enjoy just making people happy and just being creative in order, in order to communicate and interact with the world around me. So um, I I made a, a small video detailing a little bit what I what I did in my head at, for my high school graduation. I mean, people loved it. They saw it at my graduation party. And uh, 
I put that into another little video for a program I did called Project Search shortly before the pandemic. After the pandemic, I wanted to do something different. So I went to the work, went to work at the Loma Colorado Library because I enjoy books. So I was able to um, go set up an interview and I had been working there for nearly a year now and it is one of the best jobs ever. So with that being said, uh, I enjoy being able to do what I do and it's a lot of fun. And I guess I am done with, <laughs> with me so far. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. I Josh is one of my favorite people. Um, I've known him for a little while now, and I just love all the beautiful artwork he does. It's amazing. I wish you could all see it. Um, and last but not least is Daniel Ekman. So I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be on this podcast and to be with some great uh, with a great host and great panelists. Um, my name is Daniel Ekman. I'm in my late 30s. Um, I'm on the spectrum as well. I was diagnosed uh, pretty early on, about two and a half, and this would have been in the late 80s. So it was a time where there was not nearly as much known about autism as there is now. There were, um, we'll probably get into this, a lot of stereotypes about what autism was and wasn't I kind of fit into the stereotype of the more I, I don't like this word but quote unquote traditional profile of what people thought of autism and what autism was um, back in those days I grew up in the Washington DC area but I moved to Albuquerque in 2008 and uh, as far as what I learned about transition I learned a lot and then I had a child and so I had to relearn everything so <laughs> Um, I'm still learning, obviously, as a parent. I don't think you ever stop learning. I have a six-year-old. He's kind of my world. I've, he's kind of, um, in a way, I, I, being a parent is something I always wanted, never thought I could do. So when it happened, it kind of became my obsession was parenting. But I'm also really into sports, sports history, playing sports, watching, reading about um, and Katie, I can also relate to being into history because that's something that really fascinates me as well. Um, the history of pretty much anything fascinates me. So I go down a lot of rabbit holes. Um, without further ado, I wanna go ahead and get to the questions though. So thank you again for having me. So this is gonna be a conversation um, about autism and being an adult with autism. And we had kind of discussed earlier that we would um, give people a chance to respond. I do want to respond to something Daniel said, because um, I am an adult with autism and I am, um, I am the oldest one here. I am 62. I wasn't diagnosed until in my 40s. And uh, I see eyebrows going up. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want you all to know that it's a very different thing now. And being a female with autism is also uh, very different with some of the things that we deal with. Um, so Katie, why don't you take it away about being a female and you know what, what kinds of things as a young adult and how you've gotten to be an adult. Uh, what it's like. Yes. And <laughs> do we have all time for the podcast? No. Um, so I grew up in the early 90s and early 2000s, and I was actually diagnosed with autism in Albuquerque. Uh, at the time, it was Asperger's syndrome, but I identify with autism because that's no longer in the DSM and autism is autism. Uh, no matter how it looks like. Um, but anyways, that's a whole other discussion. I, um, there weren't any autism programs. And when I was diagnosed, all the information that people had was on European men, uh, which is not what somebody presenting with anxiety has with autism. So we could go into my childhood and like how there were things that worked and things that didn't work and how 
I was on almost every antidepressant before age 18 because uh, it, I think it was needed, but it also was like, that was what, what the option was available in New Mexico. Um, disability is culturally defined. I've learned that in my, my travels and working abroad and other pieces. And so there's behavior and also there's the environment. And when you are a female, there's a lot of social pressures and a lot of nuance. Um, so because it presents differently, women on the spectrum tend to have more depression and or anxiety and, um, you know, might identify more with like LGBTQ plus those types of relationships. I think we're getting better about that in 2023, but those aren't the th things people would be looking at, um, in a diagnosis piece. So, um, because uh, like when I was put into occupational therapy in terms of what is acceptable behavior, it was also looking at my parents' culture, right? And what we thought acceptable behavior was for women. Um, so it looked a lot, it looks a bit different of what the social expectations are. So the whole parenting discussion, uh, when you're an adult and a woman and you have a disability, there's a lot more, unfortunately, I think stigma that's there. Um, accessing healthcare um, is a whole other process. Um, and I also want to give credit of there's things that are specific to autism and there's things that are specific to America and things we need to improve on. And what I have found is talking to other women or people who are non-binary and other gender identities because, uh, you know, all I want to be very sensitive here, but working in public health, there's a huge bias in American medicine to serve men and research towards men. You know, we could go into history and all those pieces. And so we're still playing catch up on how to be better about medicine, but medicine is more equipped to treat men in a variety of things. And so talking to women, I've seen that we've had a lot of barriers. And so it's been really great to have these open discussions uh, with my friends who have other chronic conditions, who have other disabilities. Um, and being sounding boards of like, did your doctor say this? What needs to have follow-up? What needs to have those, those pieces? Um, but I was sort of caught off guard with like the expectations for socialization and like the social skills, like you're expected as a woman to be on it. And that um, it's a lot, there was a different level of pain. My mom's friend uh, said that about what's it like to be a woman on the spectrum, because there's a I think, you know, there's times where I have been like in my own place or in my own daydreams, but oftentimes I've been very painfully aware. Like I, I've always been aware that I've been off as a kid um, because other friends would, other girls in the class were not getting bullied or you're just, a, I was a lot more in tune and aware to these things. And that could be a gender difference, but it's something that is a lot more common in the United States. Um, to have those very close female relationships and then trying to build those as you get to be an adult has also been a challenge. So you have like people who have already been in sororities or people who've grown up with each other. And um, so I would say those are the two biggest things is learning how to define it for myself. And then it has been a little bit of an, it has been an interesting experience and sometimes a challenge of meeting people who, uh, more often than not, women are diagnosed late. So I have often been the veteran or one of the rare ones in my experience. Uh, there were two of us in, uh, with New, in New Mexico, and I was the only one that didn't have seizures, for example. And so learning like what that looked like, what other health conditions looked like, but it's been very new to have these experiences where people are seeking out the autism diagnosis and like dressing up and getting cakes saying congratulations on the autism diagnosis and not really understanding that when you are assigned a disability that there's not really that opportunity to embrace it as much when the world is still confused about who you are. And so trying to find my identity and explain that autism is a very neutral thing in my life. I've, there've been times in my adulthood where I've think it's very positive and then when it is very negative. Um, I've gone from being very anti-autistic during the um, my teenage years, which also coincided with the anti-vax movement, which we don't have to get into it, but it did give this portrayal of autism as a negative thing. And I thought it was what would make me a bully target. And then I became super in the autism pride movement um, when I first went to college. And then he, I started to listen again more to people with other disabilities and other forms of autism. 
And I realized that I do better with being more of a neutral ground of where autism is a fact in my life. And it allows me to embrace things that are really challenging about it and isolating, especially as a woman. But it, um, because unfortunately in 2023, there are times when being a woman and also uh, being autistic work with you in the job force with discrimination. And it's unfortunate, but that is where we are in this, as a society. And so being able to acknowledge that that sucks and that's unacceptable, and there's a lot of people who go through that, but also embracing the cool things. Like, I love that I get joy out of just seeing a map. You know, it takes longer for other people to do that. So um, I know that's a long answer. Feel free to edit it. But it's not a question I think that's asked enough of what it has been like to grow up and then enter adulthood as a woman. And I'm sure there's challenges that men experience, too. So. And there are indeed, I, I do want to add that as you get older as a woman, just any woman, you are going to find that there is a prejudice in the medical field against women. Um, just as you mentioned, Katie, um, and with the autism added, um, trying to get the kind of care you need um, and the respect that you deserve as a human being, that's not a man, um, it, it, it becomes a whole other issue, along with the fact that at least for me, with a lot of my sensory sensitivities, um, getting medical help requires telling people about a lot of things, like going to the dentist means saying, I have a terrible gag reflex. I can't deal with big things in my mouth. You're going to have to figure out another way to take those x-rays, um, things like that. And so, you know, growing up, you can imagine in the days when the only people who got a diagnosis for autism were people who didn't speak. And, you know, the, the prejudice was that, you know, autistic people sat and rocked in corners all day. Um, and, Yet I had all of those issues with the sensory sensitivities and, and the medical part of it that made it really hard for me. And I was considered to be a difficult patient. I'm still somewhat of a difficult patient, but now I walk in and I'm very clear on how I expect to be treated. Um, so moving from that, uh, Katie, did you have something more to say? Your hand was up. Just wanted to clarify one piece. And I think it's applicable also for the adulthood conversation, like medicine and accessing healthcare and insurance could be a whole thing. But something that I've had to learn is that a lot of people will assume autism is the cause for all my health concerns. And the older that I've gotten, I've had to really advocate because I was diagnosed with a chronic illness at age 25. And it took six months to figure out some pretty scary symptoms that, hey, this wasn't just mental health or, hey, this wasn't just autism. And I think it's also realizing that, yes, things are linked. Your mind is linked to your body, but also not everything is all in your head and being able to advocate. And that's been a challenge to navigate. Um because your body, as you get older, your body just changes. And that's what I needed somebody to tell me in health ed class in the 90s. Um, uh, like that's, yeah. Does it. <laughs> um, well, let's bring the guys into this. Um, so Joshua, um, you know, as you're um, going into adulthood, what kinds of things can you relate to that Katie has talked about and that I've talked about? And what are other things that are issues for you um, in just getting into that adulthood frame? That is a pretty good question that has multiple answers. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'll try to sum um, it up as best I can. Um, so with the transitioning to adulthood part, one huge challenge is it. It's just trying to um, one one is like still continuing to ask for help when, when you need it, 
because there's there's this weird social stigma how if you're like an adult man you shouldn't be asking for too much help like at all which is weird uh and then there's the added challenge of okay the people who supported me they gave me this they gave me this they did all of this how can i learn continue doing that without their help because i know people aren't going to be around forever i mean i'm not going to have the i'm not going to have the doctor who birthed me um in 1999 still be around when i'm 94 uh so it comes with the added challenge of being able to continue to take care of yourself and keeping yourself just i wouldn't want to say i wouldn't want to say just like 100% focused, but just in check, being able to stay regulated, like stay, um, stay okay, or, or just right, as my parents would tell me. Um, an another added challenge is uh, so sometimes it's just being able to uh, to know what you need, know what you need, and be able to function, and be able to to find out what works for you. Um, that can be pretty challenging as someone like me, and it could be challenging if you're if you're trying to get get a job. Like for for example, like at the library, there could be um. So so my job as a library page, I put away books, and uh, one one thing one thing I have to deal with is putting away books in the children's section, and often there could be kids running around pulling books off shelves uh sticking gum underneath things etc they're kids that's fine um i've gotten better i've gotten better at this but i still don't like talking to too much people at too much and too many times but i will speak with someone if they need help so with that it it adds the challenge of needing to interact or help guide someone to um to a book or or helping someone if they need it and it's a challenge of okay, I was just putting this stuff away, but now I have to get on my, get out of my zone here and focus on what this person needs help with. So, with that being said, and there's no other way for me to say this, I have to. Um, I, I I just feel well deep down scared how that I'm going to either make a fool of myself in front of a complete stranger, or won't be able to help some it's a uh, just this added uh layer of unnecessarily unnecessary fear that i'm that again i'm still getting over it but just is still there as someone like me and it's it used to be upsetting but now it's just infuriatingly infuriatingly frustrating just angry i love this group and and one thing I really like is we have, you know, females, younger, older males. And so Daniel, someone now in the, you know, sort of prime of adult life. Um, what's it been like for you, uh, you know, coming up and becoming an adult and and managing your life now as an adult with a lot of responsibilities? There's so much that's been said already that really can and should be touched on, but we'd be here all day, I think, if I tried to. Um, I think that uh, it's an interesting journey because at the time I was diagnosed, really, um, Elisheva, what you had said about the diagnosis with autism, said it was seen very much as, well, your future's over now. That Because yeah, I was, the whole reason I was diagnosed in the first place was I started becoming more picky about what I ate. I stopped talking as much. I, I lost, um, for lack of a better word, I lost some of the kind of more typical development that was going on until I was about the age of two. So how doctors saw it, and I still keep the paper from my diagnosis. I keep it with me as a not just as a reminder, but it's kind of a souvenir in a way that I can show off to people if someone ever asks. Um, 
Yeah, it was pretty much you're not going to college. Whether or not you're going to talk, we don't know, but probably not. Um, don't really expect very much. Um, I was very lucky in that my parents would not accept that. Um, they were very much the opposite of, of, in terms of they had expectations of me that were very high. Um, that doesn't mean it was always easy because, again, I think our understanding of what autism was changed over time. I identified as a teenager far more with mental health issues because I struggled a lot with depression and anxiety, sometimes very severe depression. Maybe a reason for that was that my family members are all diagnosed with depression and anxiety. So it was something I felt like maybe I could relate to more. Um, I think it was because I felt like that's where my challenges were coming from. Of course, now when I think about it, I think about how it's tied in with this as Katie, you kind of said a neutral identity of autism. It's not something that's always extremely positive or negative. It just is. It just impacts where I am to the point where I can't really imagine life without it because so much of how I think is tied to that. Um, I think as an adult, uh, Josh, I could really relate to what you said about people assuming that if you're a male, especially that you don't need help. For example, I've had people expect me to be really good with my hands because I'm male. Well, I'm terrible with my hands. I, my six-year-old son, and I don't exaggerate, is probably better with his hands and fine motor skills in particular than I am. I was never good with fine motor, still not. I'm not good with spatial awareness either. So yeah, there is an expectation. And I think it comes out with maybe more of the mental health side of things that you're expected to just be able to get over things or you should just deal with it or you should just, I think we're in a better place now and that people are more accepting of things like counseling and therapy and more accepting of the idea that some of the mental health, I don't even know if I call them struggles or just mental health realities are there and that there's, there's not this kind of stigma around it. But when I was a teenager, I felt like there definitely was a stigma around it. It was seen as abnormal. It was seen as something that shouldn't happen. Um, as far as autism, one thing I did want to point out, because this was touched on, is, is the difference of being a female with autism and a male with autism. I think because I fit into the stereotype of what autism was more, there are, in, in a kind of weird way, some privileges that came with that. Um, for example, if I stepped into certain settings, I was actually listened to more because I was seen as, well, this is the classical case of someone with autism. And I would be asked, you know, what did you do to, to become quote unquote successful? Or what did you do to, you know, to kind of make it through what was seen as something that, and again, there's still a stereotype out there. It's seen as something that's very negative. I always was kind of uncomfortable because not only did I realize the privilege that was being given to me that was kind of unearned, but frankly, my story isn't everyone's story. A lot of what I could have had happen to me or that I did might be very destructive for someone else or might not um, fit. And I was always very eager to tell parents that, if, look, my story is mine, but it's not everyone's story. And my journey and my circumstances are very different even if they seem to fit that stereotype. I mean, and thankfully that's changing, but it's still, we're still not there yet. Um, but as a parent, yeah, I've had to, uh, it's been a challenge because a lot of the things that you're expected to kind of socially understand and teach to your child are things I struggle with. Um, social, social situations in particular, I really struggle with. I struggle with uh, situations around, again, using my hands or a lot of you know, skills around the house or those type of things. I'm not good at those at all. I just, frankly, am, I, I don't feel like I've learned them yet. So I kind of have to learn as I go along. But yeah, I, I want to go ahead and get to the other panelists because I see uh, Katie, you have your hand up here. Yeah, Katie, you want to jump in? Just real quick, um, I, I wanted to affirm and thank both Joshua and Daniel for, for what they're sharing. And I agree with the privileges, like because I was diagnosed at age five and I had a parent with a master's degree in education and a PhD, when I say that I'm autistic and I'm speaking about my experience, I am very well aware that there are many people, every family is different, every person is different. So even asking about like, 
how to navigate that question on, um, you know, what can I do versus what support I can have for my family is just so different for each and every individual person. But I think um, Josh put it really nicely is that it is an experiment. And I remember getting so mad in my therapy sessions and, and as a teenager, like I, and now I, I've embraced the term, but like it, the E word, like the experiment, because you have to do a lot of trial and error. And that's not just autism. That is what's going to work for adulthood. What's going to fit. You know, I think, you know, there are pieces of our cultures that work for us. And then there's some that are very detrimental, but I also really want to affirm that the whole piece about asking for help. I think it's so important to have these conversations because when you're in survival mode and having to like fight and advocate for yourself, it's hard to remember the other side. And yeah, like it is, I can only imagine what it's like to be um, a man where you're not allowed to express your emotions and you might be more sensitive to the world. Um, you know, I think you both can express that differently, but I also think it's just a huge advantage that you might have over other people people because like I can speak to this from myself is that mental health has never been stigmatized for me personally like I thought going to therapy and occupational therapy was normal um and I've been in therapy for most of my life medication is a normal thing for me um though it was a struggle to get back on it after 10 years but um not because necessarily I wanted that because it was just such a pain to deal with it in society um but like I am very good at taking criticism in a workplace and do not take things personally because I've had to have my behavior critiqued on again, off again. And so y'all knowing, having to ask for help and getting out of this myth that America is this independent nation and we can do all the things and men can do all the things. Like we're human. We're the only species that tends to give birth in the presence of others and die in the presence of others. And that's for a reason. Like, um, I'll just close with one of my favorite poets, Langston Hughes, you know, um, birthing is hard and dying is mean. So getting some loving in between, like, you know, you have to live your life. Um, I hope I paraphrase that correctly. And it takes support. The other thing I wanted to quickly mention um, while I'm thinking of it is this concept of leaning only on your parents and you like, it's a lot of strain. Like your parents have also have had to go through this journey of having an autistic child. And so what I have learned as an adult is being able to ask for help and using resources and finding emotional resources and friends or, you know, finding my own coping mechanisms, which by the way, have changed as my body has changed as an adult, which has been one of the more annoying things. Um, you know, and you have some tools. One other thing I'll just say about being biologically female is that when your hormones are up, you also get really agitated uh, in my experience. And no one told me that walking into this, but you have some tools knowing that, you know, walking into those pieces, but it's still going to be an experiment and you're still going to look silly. And I've found that more often than not, that it's not just an autism thing. We all look ridiculous trying to navigate adulthood and everybody looks silly. And oftentimes everybody's still into their own head and worried about what they look like, which hey, that might be why we're having a mental health crisis in this country. Um, we, we have a lot of those same issues of looking stupid or looking foolish and not being able to break out of our shells. Like there's a lot of weird things in this culture. And so it helps me to know that I'm not alone, not just within the autism community, but also with other friends and other people my own age. Um, I want to add a little to that um, because I had a very different experience in so many ways. Although I look like I'm a person who came from privilege, I didn't. I was born of a 16-year-old mother um, and um, my grandparents were from Europe um, and had survived the war in Europe, which was uh, because of our ethnicities, not a great thing either in, you know, in Western Europe or in Eastern Europe um, during World War II and after, and even before for them. So there's a lot of trauma. And then to come to the United States, um, and I was the first American, and I was kind of a disappointment, I think, for, for you know, because, um, 
having a baby out of wedlock and and some of those attitudes particularly in the early the late 50s early 60s in in the United States um and what to do with me and so I was raised for a number of years by three grandmothers by two grandmothers plus a great grandmother while my mother went to nursing school um and because my dad, he has two ethnicities. His, his uh, mother's family is all from Lithuania. Um, and, but his dad is Irish. And the Irish people, despite what people think um, about people who happen to have light skin, have had a terrible time. And, and um you know, dealing with the English, dealing with being treated as second-class citizens, the potato famine, all of that. And so there was all of that trauma. And so I was expected, like my younger sisters, who were quite a bit younger than me, but I was expected to be, um, you know, be strong and don't show your emotions on one side. And then on the other side, it's like drama, you know, um and and I can't figure any of it out at all so um although it looks like I'm from privilege I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college at all and then to have two degrees um and then my sisters neither of them uh got to go to college I just happened to be considered smart and strange and um, so the smartness helped a lot, but I was still strange. And um, I had a terrible time because I didn't feel like I could ask for help. In fact, I never started asking for help until I was working on my dissertation. And um, at that point, I didn't, I had gone through school. I just have to tell you this so that you all know, I had no idea what, what college was about at all. I didn't know I was supposed to be working on a specific degree or anything. And I had to be told that when I was a junior in college and working on like four minors and no majors. And, and then, but I always felt like there was something wrong with asking for help. Um, and it was exacerbated by the fact that, you know, despite the fact that I have all this weird vocabulary, <laughs> you know, big vocabulary from going to college and all of that, that it's really hard for me to know what to ask for. And it still is. Um, so I'm a much happier person now that, you know, I've been at the Center for Development and Disability as first as a reason, you know, I, I did my dissertation and quite a lot of the people I interviewed were here. My dissertation was on autism in New Mexico. And then um, being a postdoc, I had to learn how to relate to women because most of what I was doing was there, it was mostly men in biology, it's mostly men in geology, it's mostly men in the fields I was really interested in, it was mostly men. And I went into special education in self-defense because I had a child with autism. And that's when I found out I had autism. Um, and then what did it mean to me? For me, it meant, oh my God, now I understand myself better. But for my son, it was a completely different experience. And I, it, that's when I realized if you meet a person with autism, you meet a person with autism. Anyway, getting, being among people, and I will tell you that even at the CDD, most people, even people who are in uh, autism and other developmental disabilities, they don't get us. Um, they don't. And then dealing with the university system, um, I find every problem you know, that they should fix, you know, um, I find every problem that they should fix, but I still, as a female, as somebody who grew up in a, you know, a family that, that was not even middle class, you know, working class, I guess you'd call it, um, 
and then uh, being where I am now, it's quite a change. And those changes are really hard for me. Um, so it's been an interesting journey and an interesting life. And I just wanted to add that. And what I'd like to do now is kind of move the conversation into what do you think the benefits of being on the spectrum are? And um, we can start with whoever wants to say, I think we're comfortable enough now that if you have something to say, just jump in, I'm gonna back off and see what happens. I can kind of start and go real quickly. Um, the one thing about the way my brain works is that I think having autism has meant that my brain is willing to follow connections that other people are not necessarily willing to follow or not. It's not only do I follow those connections, but I come up with really creative ideas. I've been able to, uh, I, I think my work ethic is partially because of the way my brain's wired. I think as a parent, as much as I struggle with a lot of different things, and as someone pointed out to me, you know, sometimes you just struggle because you have a young child. <laughs> it's so, but anyway, um, I think it's helped me as a parent because it's one, it's given me the motivation to really not take for granted the idea of being a parent, but also I think it's given me a certain level of dedication to my child and sort of unconditional acceptance of him that not only has benefited him, but I've been so lucky to get that kind of unconditional acceptance from him. I feel like having a child has given me someone who not only I connect with on such a deep level, but it, it's really shown me what unconditional acceptance can look like. I don't think I would know that if I didn't have a child and if I didn't have the kind of dedication that came from not just having autism, but from being told, well, you're not going to be a parent. It made me more determined to, to not only show that I can be a parent, but to really not take it for granted. So that's it for me. Who wants to jump in? Josh. Okay. Um, I think one large benefit of having a head like mine is I could, um, well, when upside and downside, when downside is I tend to create a lot of internal internalized conflict up here by myself. And, uh, but one huge benefit is that being able to do what I do, I can, I learned to create some of my own coping strategies and, uh, empowered myself i have um i have an example can i just grab it real quick uh, i'll be right back give me a sec okay. katie you want to jump in while we're waiting for josh oh josh is back okay so um so those of you listening you probably can't see it but um i i mean ah dang it no sorry the camera's acting stupid so i made a picture um it's an it's an empowering picture that uh that uh i that i feel like um helps a lot it helped with a recent um bit of a uh it helped it helped when i was upset well, one time i um I'm, I'm gonna pull up on it up on the screen for everyone to see, but uh, with a head like mine, I tend to end up going into sometimes dark places. I tend to doubt myself. I get scared. I um, occasionally freak out on my own thoughts, thinking, and I think um, th this picture right here. It's hard to see. It's, it says bite me if it's inverted, but um, I tend to get, get scared of my own thoughts sometimes. And with my, with my own doubts, I tend to overthink. I tend to um, unintentionally break some of my own coping habits and some of my good habits because I, I get so scared. Like what if uh, 
I'm stuck thinking this way for the rest of my life. What if uh, something I read ends up hurting me? I end up speaking out and I, I suffer silently because I can't, I feel like I can't say anything to anyone else. Like don't be able to understand. So, and that's why being able to make something like this is an upside because I, because I know my own dark, my own doubts and just craziness, all that stuff. That's not true. I could, I can be who I want to be, do what I want to think. And I'm not going to let anyone stop me because it's someone, I'm someone that is greater and someone that can be myself. And yeah, it could be scary at times, but in the end, even though it's scary, the scary stuff isn't true. It, it's just what, what I've taken from that, from that is if you're scared of it, that means the bad stuff's losing and you're winning. So that's all I have to say about that. Katie, do you have anything to add? What is the upside for you? Yeah, um, first, that was just what was so powerful was really said. And I'll tell you, it wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I realized thoughts are just thoughts, but it took me a really long time to get there. So I'm just really in awe of your strength and want to uh, affirm that, Josh, um, as somebody who can relate to a lot of what you what you've said. Um, yeah, it's hard to see it as like an advantage or a disadvantage or like positives or upsides. Because again, like I view autism as the light in the room. Um, there are different pieces of like, it's when you see lights, they aren't usually the first thing that you notice. Sometimes they are if they're overwhelming, but they definitely change your perspective maybe in the background. And like, we all contain multitudes. So autism is a very big piece because it defined a lot of my my childhood, but it's not the only piece. Um, and I think, interestingly, we were talking about privilege, and I'll say one of the positive things is, um, it may not seem positive, but I'm able to see that the world is not a perfect place. And so having expectations and realizing things like privilege is contextual. There are times when autism is going to weigh more than me being white, or being a woman is going to weigh more. Um, it's so different. And, you know, I think it also flips the converse of, you know, men on the spectrum, whether they're white, regardless of what entity, you know, um, identity or ethnicity they are, there's that piece as well of like, it depends on your social situation. It depends on what you want to do with your life. Um, so I'll say for me, it's actually been a really interesting positive that I never thought would have happened is by sharing my experiences in forums like this and talking about these um, not being afraid to share hard stuff. And because oftentimes when I've been in a situation, whether it's mental health or if it's a job situation, um, what I'm able to share that with my friends and former classmates, just to be like, Hey, here's how you can ally, or this is something I'm going through. It's just been a huge, huge gift. Um, as somebody who's always wanted to connect. Um, and I know it's a stereotype that autistics don't have a lot of empathy, but I've always had the opposite where I feel too much. And that empathy has become a huge strength for me. Um, being a, I'm getting a little bit better about being more aware of myself and being empathetic towards myself and self-care and self-love has been a new experience, but towards others. Um, I've had to realize, and it took two degrees to get there, but like, again, having a lot of empathy for my parents um, and their process of what it was like to have an autistic child and my siblings, nobody consents to disability. I think that's the thing we tend to forget is even if you seek out the diagnosis, the social pressures, you don't really get to consent to. Um, so I think that's really helped me with adulthood of building connections and finding supports outside of the family. And uh, we touched on that a little bit um, about like not being afraid to ask for help because I've always had to get help. Like it's just a thing that's a, a piece and it can be annoying because the workplace expects you to be independent or like if you have mental health care, there's less opportunities to work abroad, for example. Um, but I have always been able to get myself out of sticky situations because I'm not afraid to throw up the flag and say, this is not normal. 
Um, this is something I need support in. Um, and I, I am here because of the efforts of therapists and, you know, I'm in my early thirties and I've found that, Hey, it's okay to go back to occupational therapy. Um, that I might have some executive dysfunction uh, that we didn't really pick up on because again, women with ADHD or ADD or executive function looks different than men. Um, and so you have these expectations in these pieces. Um, the other thing, and I would say like, if you're into learning and if college is a really good fit, I'd also say like realizing that there's other people that share your fixation, maybe not to the same degree that you do, <laughs> But other people of history, like people major in history, y'all, there are degrees in some of these areas where you can get a fixation. Um, and the last thing I'll say is it may not seem like an advantage, but having two decades, over two decades of having to adapt to environments that were not for me uh, gave me an advantage that combined with empathy, like working with people who lived with HIV and had to deal with stigma and didn't really understand disclosure, um, working abroad. So people might think, oh, you might not be a good fit for things like Peace Corps or living in Alaska. And it's like, everybody has to adapt to this environment. Like it is, a, it's a grand experiment. And because I'm autistic and live with a disability, I have a lot more experience of realizing that if I want to do something, it might mean that the environment, I have to adapt to the environment because, um, you know, the world wasn't built for me. And it's not built for a lot of people. And so through my own adaptations, I've been able to advocate, just be like, hey, this is just best practice inclusion. Like speaking up in my workplaces, um, a huge reason why I went into my field was the barrier, I alluded to this, but the barriers to healthcare that I've experienced as a kid. Um, and so being able to tap from my own experiences and then like what Daniel was saying was, or um, Elisheva, we're asking those questions about like, hey, have you thought about transportation? Is this website accessible? Like all these things that people overlook, but it's also because we haven't had the opportunity to have people with disabilities in healthcare or people with disabilities in the library being like, hey, there might be a better way of doing this that might be actually, um, there's that additum of accessibility is essential for some, beneficial for all. Um, and recently I've gotten a lot from learning from like, deaf and um, hearing um, loss and vision loss in blind communities, where I used to beat myself up, for example, being a late bloomer to driving. And I'm like, I should have just made friends with people in the vision loss community because they also cannot drive and have to navigate a similar barrier. But I was so stuck in my own little autistic world um, that I didn't really get a chance to like listen to who else is experiencing these things. Um, so it's been a really I don't know if that makes any sense of the things that I've mentioned, but I would say like I've had some strengths and some unexpected strengths, despite some of the challenges I had as a kid. Now, there are still challenges, but I've been able to utilize some. And again, that's through the grace of therapists, parents, having resources and not being and being afraid to build my own communities and, um, you know, get the supports that I need to achieve the goals that I want. I think we've covered a lot. Maybe um, at this end of our, our talk together, um, what we might wanna do is just have everyone go through, and what's one thing you wanna say to the world? Just one thing that you know, you're, you're dying to say. And Katie, why don't we go with you first? We'll just go around. I think there is a lot, we have a lot more in common than we do different. And I know that's a stereotypical thing to say, but I'm finding more and more that these pressures for becoming an adult, like when we were talking about this internally, I was cracking up about like transition to adulthood. I'm like, transition? I'm still transitioning. Have I, I think I finally moved out of my house for good the way that I would define it of my parents' house uh, at age 29 when I moved to Alaska. So it's like, you know, none of this happens overnight. It is a transition and it's a continuous transition. It's a constant experiment. And just be ready to embrace the process, not just for your autistic children or autistic people in your lives, but also for your other children. Like 
there's differences and timelines and perspectives for everyone. And having this pressure of everybody's going to meet these deadlines and X time or, hey, if anybody's under the age of 40, good luck owning a house if you do not have another spouse with income. Like those types of milestones that we had in previous generations, that's not necessarily linked to autism and that's there. Um, and also, yes, we're all very verbal autistics that are have been able to be in the community and do incredible things like parent and serve libraries, um, you know, and I'm very fortunate for the experiences that I had, but I also want to stress that every single autistic person has value, even if they may not have the same life that we do. If they are not going to be able to go to college out of their own, it would make them miserable or it's just not feasible. And we need to work harder and do better and to be more inclusive. Um, but the things that people are feeling in that isolation is not on you. We need to do better in America to take care of people and stop being individualistic and more communal. Um, like the pressures that I have felt that I need to take care of myself because I don't know if my parents are going to be here forever. And that anxiety is an American problem. It's not something that should happen. I have worked in other countries where there is more community support of like understanding of, hey, when somebody's parents are no longer able to take care of their child with severe disabilities, there is a procedure in place. There's extended family. There's, there's just this understanding that everybody has value. So I just want to validate people who might feel emotionally isolated from this conversation that your feelings are valid and I'm sorry, and we need to do better. So I don't, hopefully Josh and Joshua and Daniel end on a higher note, but I just wanted to really reinforce that because there are different experiences with autism. It's, True. And Joshua? Uh, yeah, right. That That is true. That is that is very true. And that's all we have to say. Daniel, is there anything you have to say? Yeah, and Katie, I think you touched on this, but I think as a community, one of the good things that I'm seeing happen, and this is within the disability community, the autistic community, is we're stretching the idea not just of what autism is, for example, but of what people's experiences are. I mean, there's more and more women with autism that are talking about their experiences, there's more people of color that are talking about their experiences with autism. We're expanding, you know, when we talk about it being a spectrum, we're really starting to expand what does that spectrum look like? What does that spectrum mean? What are the different things that we've taken into account. I mean, I'm sure in 20 years, there's going to be experiences that we can't even imagine now that are going to, we're going to realize, oh, that's part of the autism spectrum. We didn't even think about that. Something else, I think the, um, the experience of working with people outside of uh, the United States, my saving, the thing that saved me because social anxiety was a huge problem in high school. I was very isolated. I had mental health um, concerns that people didn't understand. When I went to college, I got to go because I went to school in Canada into the international student program. That was probably the best thing to happen. And the one thing that caused me to transition into emotionally, socially, even in terms of my attitude becoming an adult, because I was with people that didn't understand the social rules any more than I did, because they didn't make sense to them any more than they made sense to me. And I realized that some of the social rules that I thought were just givens didn't make sense because they didn't make sense. They just, they weren't practical or they, you know, so there was that, they were very accepting of me. They didn't see my social anxiety or awkwardness as being a problem. They, if anything, kind of saw that as endearing in a way. Um, and they were willing to show me different ways of being social and of being accepted and of doing all these things that I just take it for granted were always done one way. So I definitely, um, like Katie, recommend being around people that do not do things the same way that everyone else does, them. because you'll find a group of people that will be accepting and that will really nurture your journey. So I, I highly encourage that. And that's all I really have to say as well. And I'm going to finish up by saying that, you know, one thing that I learned by first being a parent, then learning, oh, I'm an autist as well. And I love that word autist because it, it doesn't have the 
connotation that there's something wrong with me when there's quite a bit of something right with me. And I think that's true of every human being. But what I wanna say is disability is the norm. Nobody gets out of this life without having experienced it for a short time or a long time or a lifetime. Um, and really, I almost think we need to get rid of the word and start talking about it as just part of the typical way. Um, because we talk about typical developing, for example, in autism. There's no typical developing outside of autism. I, every person develops in their own unique way um, because we are all one of a kind um, within the, the human race, within the world of all of biology. And so this idea that somehow there's normal and then there's the rest of us is just flies in the face of reality. Um, and if we see people that way, then we can see what, what they had to bring to the world, because I think that every person brings a gift to the world. Um, and I am, in the end, quite grateful for my gifts, including the gift of autism and in the ways which it shaped me. And if... Let's make, I wanna make sure that everybody's had their say. Are we there? Okay, so we're, we're done with our podcast then. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me as well. I had a good time speaking with all of you and hope to do so again someday. I had a great time and meeting you, Katie, that's wonderful. We have to connect. And um, I've known Daniel and John